Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, for Book 6, Chapter 4 of Buddenbrook's Wow. Her manner is a wee bit ridiculous. Swims in the moment, Fishy says, The dialect my translation uses for her permanida instantly brought to mind Yosemite Sam from the Looney Tunes and Mary Melody's cartoons. <laughs> he was just a... He was like a caricature, wasn't he? He was supposed to be ridiculous. Why is... I think this is a question on all the Buddenbrook's mind. Why is Tony interested in him? Starfall 15 says, A disaster in the making. I understand that Tony feels lonely and with no purpose in life since her divorce, but... To convince herself that he is a good option for her. Her staring into the air, she knows it, but trying to convince herself otherwise. I like how man describes his characters even when in a, in the middle of an argument, like in the last chapter. The co-business card was the perfect introduction to this character. Tekrific says, Manners, manners, tsk, tsk, much needed levity in contrast to the previous chapter. Tony is a magnet for strange fellows. Her permanitor is a caricature of a caricature. The Bavarian dialect rendered into English is a hoot. But as Swim said, the Mama Fishy hinted at, there is a real prospector vibe going on here, which sort of takes you out of the narrative a bit. But I guess the intended comedic effect comes across. Phrase. Talks a blue streak is a North American informal speaking fast and continuously and at great length. Talks a blue streak. There you go. Alright, next chapter. Gone straight into it. No mucking about tonight. Chapter 5 goes like this. Her permanitor moved into Meng Street. He ate dinner with Thomas Buddenbrook and his wife the following day and on the third a Thursday... He made the acquaintance of Justice Kroger and his wife and three ladies from Broad Street who found him frightfully funny. They said fr- frightfully funny. Sismic Witzbrot, who was rather stern with him, the, and Paul Clothilde and little Erica, to whom he gave a bag of bonbons. The man was invincibly good-humoured. His size, in fact, meant nothing and seemed to arise out of an excess of comfort. He smoked his pipe, talked in his curious dialect and displayed an inexhaustible power of sitting still. He kept his place long after the meal was finished in the most easy attitude possible and smoked, drank and chatted. His presence gave to the life in the old home a new and strange tone. His very being brought something unharmonious into the room, but he disturbed none of the traditional customs of the house. He was faithful to morning and evening prayers, asked permission to attend one of the Frau Consul's Sunday school classes, and even appeared on a Jerusalem evening in the drawing room and was presented to the guests, but withdrew affrighted when Leah Gerhardt began to read aloud. He was soon known in the town. They spoke in the great houses about the Buddenbrook's guest from Bavaria, but neither in the family nor on the bourse did he make connections, and as it was already the time when people were making ready to go to the show, the consul refrained from introducing her permanitor into society, but he devoted himself with zeal to the guest, taking time from his business and civic engagements to show him about the town and point out the medieval monuments, churches, gates, fountains, market, town hall and ship company. He made him acquainted with his own nearest friends on exchange and entertained him in every way. His mother took occasion one day to thank him for his self-sacrifice, but he only remarked dryly, Why, yes, mother, why wouldn't one do? 
What wouldn't one do? The Frau Consul left this unanswered. She did not even smile or move her eyelids, but shifted the gaze of her light eyes and changed the subject. She persevered... Sorry. She preserved an even hearty friendliness towards her permanitor, which could hardly be said of the daughter. On the third or fourth day after his arrival, the hop dealer let it be known that he had concluded his business with the local brewery, but a week and a half had passed since then, and he had been present for two children's afternoons. On these occasions, Frau Gunlich had sat blushing and watching his every motion, casting quick embarrassed glances at Thomas and the three Buttonbrook cousins. She talked hardly at all, sat for long minutes stiff and speechless, or even got up and left the room. The green blinds in Frau Grunlich's sleeping room were gently stirred by the mild air of a June night, for the windows were open. It was a large room with simple furniture, covered in grey linen. On the night table at the side of the high bed, several little wicks burned in a glass with oil and water in it, filling the room with faint even light. Frau Grunlich was in bed, her pretty head was sunk softly in the lace-edged pillow, and her hands lay folded on the quilted coverlet. But her eyes, too thoughtful to close themselves, slowly followed the movement of a large insect with a long body, which perpetually besieged the glass with a million soundless motions of of his wings. Near the bed there was a framed text hanging on the wall between two old copper plate views of the town in the Middle Ages. It said, Commit your ways unto the Lord. But what good is a text like that when you are lying awake at midnight and you have to decide for your whole life and other people's too whether it shall be yes or no? It was still, very still. The clock ticked away on the wall and the only other sound was Mademoiselle Jungmann's occasional cough. Her room was next to Tony's, divided only by curtains from it. She still had a light. The born and bred Parisian was sitting under the hanging lamp at her extension table, darning stocks for little sock, uh, stockings for little Erica. The, car, the child's deep, peaceful breathing could be heard in the room, for Sesame's pupils were having summer holidays and Erica was at home again. Frau Grunlich sighed and sat up a little, propping her head on her hand. Ida, she called softly, are you still sitting there mending? Yes, yes, Tony, my child, Ida answered. Sleep now, you will be getting up early in the morning and you won't get enough rest. All right, Ida, you will make uh, wake me at six o'clock. Half past is early enough, child. The carriage is ordered for eight. Go on sleeping so you will look fresh and pretty. Oh, I haven't slept at all yet. Now, Tony, that is a bad child. Do you want to look all knocked up for the picnic? Drink seven swallows of water and then lie down and count a thousand. Oh, Ida, do come here a minute. I can't sleep, I tell you, and my head aches from thinking. Feel, I think I have some fever, and there is something the matter with my tummy again. Or is it because I am anemic? The veins in my temples are all swollen, and they beat so that it hurts, but still there may be too little blood in my head. A chair was pushed back, and Ida Jungman's lean, vigorous figure in her unfashionable brown gown appeared between the portieres. Now, now, Tony, fever, let me feel, my child, I'll make you a compress. She went with her long, firm, masculine tread to the chest for a handkerchief, dipped it into the water basin, and going back to the bed, laid it on Tony's forehead, stroking her brow a few times with both hands. Thank you, Ida, that feels good. Oh, please sit down a few minutes, good old Ida. Sit down on the edge of the bed. You see, I keep thinking the whole time about tomorrow. What shall I do? My head is going round and round. 
Ida sat down beside her with her needle and the stocking drawn over the dana again in her hand and bent over them the smooth grey head and the indefatigable bright brown eyes. Do you think he's going to propose tomorrow? she asked. No doubt of it at all. He won't lose this opportunity. It happened with Clara on just such an expedition. I could avoid it, of course. I could keep with the others all the time and not let him get near me, but then that would settle it. He's leaving day after tomorrow, he said, and he cannot stay any longer, but it seems... But if nothing comes of it today, it must be decided today. But what shall I say, Ida, when he asks me? You've never been married, so of course you know nothing about life, really. But you are a truthful woman, and you have some sense. And you are forty-two years old. Do tell me what you think. I do so need advice. Ida Jungman let the stocking fall into her lap. Yes, yes, Tony, child, I have thought a great deal about it, but what I think is there is nothing to advise about. He can't go away without speaking to you and your mamma, and if you didn't want him, you should have sent him away before now. You're right there, Ida, but I could not do it. I suppose because it is to be, but now I keep thinking it isn't too late. I can still draw back, so I am living here, tormenting myself. Do you like him, Tony? Tell me straight out. Yes, Ida. It would not be the truth if I should say no. He's not handsome, but that isn't the important thing in this life, and he is as good as gold and couldn't do anything mean, at least he seems so to me. When I think about Grunlich, oh goodness, he was all the time saying how clever and resourceful he was and all the time hiding his villainy. villainy. Permanator is not in the least like that. You might say he is too easygoing and takes life too comfortably, and that is a fruit. A fault, too, because he will never be a millionaire that way, and he really is too much inclined to let things go and muddle along, as they say down there. They are all like that down there, Ida, that is what I mean. In Munich, where he was among his own kind, and everybody spoke and looked as he does, I fairly loved him. He seemed so nice and faithful and comfy, and I noticed it was mutual. But part of that, I dare say, was that he takes me for a rich woman, richer probably than I am, because mother cannot do much more for me, as you know, but I hardly think that will make much difference to him. A great lot of money would not to be, not be to his taste. But what was I saying, Ida? That is in Munich, Tony, but here... Oh, here, Ida, you know how it was already. Up here he was torn right out of his own element and set against everybody here, and they are all ever so st- much stiffer and more dignified and serious. Here I really often blush for him, though it may be unworthy of me. You know, it even happened several times that he said me instead of I, but they say that down there even the most cultured people do it, and it doesn't hurt anything. It slips out once in a while and nobody minds, but up here, here sits Mother on one side and Tom on the other, looking at him and lifting their eyebrows, and Uncle Justice gives a start and fairly snorts, the way the Krogers do, and Fifi Buddenbrook gives her mother a look, or Friedrich or Henriette, and I feel so mortified I want to run out of the room, and it doesn't seem as if I could marry him. Oh, Charlie, it would be Munich that you would live in with him. You are right, Ida, but the engagement, and if I have... To feel the whole time mortified to death before the family and the Kistenmarkers and the Willendorfs, 
because I think he is common. Oh, Grunlich was much more refined, though he was certainly black within, as her Stengel would have said, Oh, Ida, my head, do wet the compress again. But it must be so in the end, she went on again, drawing a long breath as the compress went on. For the main point is and remains that I must get married again and not stick about here any longer as a divorced woman. Ah, Ida, I think so much about the past these days, about the time when Grinlich first appeared and the scenes he made me. Scandalous, Ida, and then about Trivmundi and the Schwarzkopfs. She spoke slowly and her eyes rested for a while dreamily on a darn in Erica's stocking. And they... And, and then the betrothal and Eamsbootle and our house. It was quite elegant, Ida. When I think of my morning gowns, it would not be like that with Permanida. One gets more modest as life goes on, and Dr. Clarsen and the baby and banker Kessnell Mayer and the end. It was frightful. You can't imagine how frightful it was. And when you have had such dreadful experiences in life, but Permanida would never go in for anything filthy like that. That is the last thing in the world I should expect of him. And we can rely on him too, in a business way, for I really think he makes a good deal with Nop at the Niederpoor Brewery. And when I am his wife, you'll see, Ida, I will take care that he has ambition and gets ahead and makes an effort and is a credit to me and all of us. That, at least, he takes upon himself when he marries a Buddenbrook. She folded her hands under her head and looked at the ceiling. Yes, ten years ago and more I married Grunlich. Ten years, and here I am at the same place again saying yes to somebody else. You know, Ida, life is very, very serious. Only the difference is that then it was a great affair and they all pressed me and tormented me, whereas now they are all perfectly quiet and take it for granted that I am going to say yes. Of course, you know, Ida, that this engagement to Alois, I say Alois because, of course, it is to be, has nothing very gay or festive about it, and it isn't really a question of my happiness at all. I am making this second marriage with my eyes open to make good the mistake of my first one, as a duty which I owe our name. Mother thinks so, and so does Tom. But, oh dear, Tony, if you don't like him, and if he won't make you happy. Ida, I know my life, and I am not a little goose any more. I have the use of my senses. I don't say that Mother would actually insist on it when there is a dispute over anything. She usually avoids it and says, Asus. But Tom wants it. I know Tom. He thinks anybody, anybody who isn't absolutely impossible. For this time, it is not a question of a brilliant match, but just one that will make good the other one. That is what he thinks. As soon as Permanida appeared, you may be sure that Tom made all the proper inquiries about his business and found it was all right. And then, as far as he was concerned, the matter was settled. Tom is a politician. He knows what he wants. Who was it threw Christian out? That is strong language, Ida, but that was really the truth of it. And why? Because he was com compromising the firm and the family. And in his eyes, I do the same thing, not with words or acts, but by my very existence as a divorced woman. He wants that put to an end. And he is right. I love him nonetheless for that, nor, I hope, does he me. In all these years I have always longed to be out in the world again. It is so dull here in this house. God punish me if that is a sin, but I am not much different. Uh, sorry, I am not much more than thirty, and I still feel young. People differ about that. You had grey hair at thirty, like all your family, and that uncle that died at Marion Water. More and more observations of the same kind followed as the night wore on, and every now and again she would say, 
it is to be after all. But at length she went to sleep and slept for five hours on ends deeply and peacefully. Whew, alrighty. Tony, 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 what are you doing? Maybe she's right. You know, maybe, maybe she'll be happy with this man. <laughs> I don't know. Let's hope so. All right. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.